Hey guys, um, welcome to Chi Alpha. My name is Casey Griffin. I am not Derek. Um, so if you were expecting Derek, he's in Arkansas. Arkansas? I think he's Arkansas. I think that's where he's at. Him and Victor are at a conference, and we miss them dearly, but they're with some national Chi Alpha leaders learning and growing and coming. Um, they'll be coming back to give us so much more of what God is doing in the nation as a whole with Chi Alpha. And so we're really excited um, about what God is doing there. But if we haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, I would love to meet you after service, so I will come and find you. Um, if you know anything about me, I love being best friends with everyone. Um, so I would love to be best friends with you too. Please allow me to do that. Um, but I'm so excited to be sharing with you guys tonight and be uh, sharing in week two of our love series that we started last week. Um, so I wanted to start off tonight by sharing my first love story. <laughs> It's not that cute. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so I actually wasn't allowed to date until I was 16, which I thought was a really silly rule growing up. Um, but looking back, I'm actually really thankful that my parents made that rule because they wanted to help me from like not experiencing all this pain and heartache and just so beautiful. <laughs> but I broke that rule. Um, and I, for good reason, because the boy that I had a crush on for like four whole months liked me back. So like, what was I supposed to do, like not date him? Like, I don't, I don't know. There just really didn't seem like an, any other option. So my first love story took place in fifth grade um, on the playground. Uh, we weren't like playing together or anything like that. Um, but I found out he liked me because he told his friend to tell my friend to tell me that he liked me. And then I told my friend to tell his friend to tell him that I liked him back. And then he told his friend to tell my friend to tell me that he wanted to date me. And so obviously, with such a romantic gesture, I had to say yes to that. <clears throat> and so we, like, dated for a few weeks, which really just meant that we sat next to each other, like, when we, like, watched a movie in class. And, like, I think we talked to each other twice. So it's pretty, pretty romantic. Um, but one day, he gave me a note, and he was like, don't open this until you get on the bus. And I was like... <laughs> so, obviously, I ran to the bus as quickly as I could um, after class that day because I was dying to know what this note said. And I ran to the back of the bus, and I was sitting with my friend, and I, like, opened up this crumpled little piece of paper, and my heart sank because it said, I love you. <laughs> I was shocked, to say the least. Um, and you would think that a 10-year-old would just be so amazed and overjoyed to see those words from her very serious two-week-long relationship. Um, but to be honest, it gave me the ick, and I immediately panicked. Like, he loved me? What? Like, what does that even mean? That he thought, thought I was cute, or like, he wanted to marry me? Like, what was this boy trying to communicate? Um, like, did he just like hanging out with me the two times that we talked to each other in person? Like, I thought that was happening all a little too fast, and I didn't think I loved him back. I, I couldn't commit to marrying this boy, I about said man. I couldn't commit to marrying this boy when I was 10 years old. And so, I, although I was flattered, and I wanted to say it back, I knew I didn't love him. So, I did what any girl had to do, and I wrote on that piece of paper that we had to break up, and I handed it to this poor boy on Monday morning. I made him wait a whole weekend before I broke up with him on the same note that he told me he loved me on. It's bad, but it's okay. <laughs> was my fifth grade boyfriend asking me to marry him by telling me that he loved me? No, probably not. That's probably not what he meant by that. Um, but he probably just meant that he really liked me and that he liked sitting next to me in class and that maybe if we got serious enough, he wanted to hold my hand at recess or something. But that never happened, you guys. We did not get there. <laughs> but to little Casey, telling someone you love them was a big deal. And honestly, I didn't even know what love was. 
And I think many of us, if we're honest, don't actually know what love is. We use this phrase, I love blank, all the time. And we fill that blank with so many different things. We say, I love our mom, or I love Taco Bell, or I love coffee, or I love my boyfriend and girlfriend. But all those, hopefully, mean wildly different things to us. What actually is love? And if we look to our culture to answer that question, I think the answer would be anything that makes us happy or anything that makes us feel good. It's someone who um, makes us laugh or does nice things for us or someone we just enjoy being around. That would probably be someone that we would say we love. And I think a lot of the time, whether we recognize it or not, love is all about what we can get from other people and not necessarily what about we can give to others. So last week, Pastor Derek started our dating series entitled Getting Together. And if you missed it, go back and listen to it. It was so, so good. I'm so thankful we got to start um, off the series as he introduced what it could look like to date well and to honor God in our relationships. Um, And we also got to see an incredible music video where Kennedy portrayed the perfect Taylor Swift. But we all know Joel was the star of the show with whatever animal costume he was wearing in that. So if you want to see that music video, go talk to Aaron after service. It's so good. Um, But Derek prompted us to ask us this question, am I the person, the person I'm looking for, is looking for? And I think in order to answer that question, we have to know what love is and what love looks like. And so like Derek shared last week, a lot of what I'm going to be talking about tonight is not ideas original to me. Um, There's this amazing author, John Mark Comer, he's also a pastor, um, and he wrote this book entitled Loveology. So all the credit goes to him. He's so smart and helped me write this. (laughs) Um, But so tonight we're going to answer this question of what is love? So whether you're single, you're dating, or you're one of those weird people who are already married, I think that we could all deepen our understanding of what love actually is. Thankfully, we find our answer to this question in the book of 1 John. So 1 John was written by one of Jesus' disciples, John. Um, And John is described in scripture as the disciple who Jesus loved. So he seems like the perfect candidate to tell us about what love is. So this is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. Our understanding of what love is should come from our understanding of who God is. John talks a lot about what love is throughout this book, so we're actually going to rewind a little bit and go to uh, 1 John chapter 3. This is verse 11 through 16. It says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. But why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So murder, not loving. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death, and anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Pay attention here. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we just thank you so much that um, you just love us so much and you just want us to understand this love that you have for us and this love that we can share with other people. God, I just pray that as we talk about um, what love looks like and how we can lay our lives down, that you would speak to every heart in this room. God, I pray that no heart, including my own, would think that um, this doesn't apply to us or that we can't understand your love a little bit better tonight. We love you so much. Just pray in your name. Amen. Alrighty, so the main idea tonight, I'm giving it right away, so make sure you write this down. Love is laying down our lives for others. Love is laying down our lives for others. That's it, you can go home now. 
Um, so before we dive deeper into this idea of what love is, it would be good to look at what love isn't. So to some people, love is tolerance. We think in order to show someone love, we can't express any opinion or opposition that we might have about their lives or the things that they're doing. We have this mindset of like, you do you, me do me, and then people think that love is not caring about each other's lives and not saying anything. But love is not tolerance. Love is not sitting quietly while we watch people we care about make mistakes that hurt them in their futures. Love is caring so much about what people that we are willing to say the truth and point them in the right direction, even when it's hard. Love is an action. And just to clarify, um, this is something that we should be doing within the context of relationships that we have with people. So I'm not telling you that you have free reign to go and yell, people, yell at people and comment on people's Instagram posts, just like really your unfiltered, unkind opinions, please don't do that. Um, Love is not just going up to a random person in the union and be like, hey, your life decisions suck. I'm Casey, by the way. Don't do that. Um, what this looks like is within a relationship with someone, someone that we truly care about, a friend, a coworker, a roommate, whatever, we're going to call things out in them because we love them and want to point them to Jesus. And if you struggle with people pleasing, you're not alone. I, as well, struggle with that. Um, this can be a really daunting task. But if we love Jesus and we love the people around us, we're not going to sit by and watch people make mistake after mistake that put a wedge between them and the Lord. Our love for Jesus and our love for them should compel us to share his love with them because we know that he is our hope. And if we care about our friends and we want them to understand this hope too, we should push past our comfort zones to talk about Jesus because love calls us to point our friends to Jesus. We have to be willing to speak the hard truths to each other because love is not tolerance. Love is also not a feeling. Love is not just a feeling. It's easy in our culture to think that love is just this strong desire or passion for someone or something, and it's something that just makes us feel good. Like when I say I love hoo-ha, it's because it makes me feel good. Like, like my mouth, not my stomach, because you all know we're <coughs> overeating at hoo-ha. Um, I just, I really enjoy it. Okay, I should say I really enjoy it. I don't love it. It's so good though. Anyway, I also really enjoy hammocking or watching 2000s rom-coms and I get really excited about those things. I have this emotional experience with them and I love doing them. That's why I say that, I love those things. They bring me a lot of happiness. But love is not just a feeling or emotion. And hear me out, feelings are a good thing. I don't wanna dog on feelings. I have several emotions, ask our team, I cried this morning. But at its root, all feelings can be selfish. Comer says that when we say, I love you to someone, often what we mean is, when I'm around you, I feel happy. You make me feel better about myself, or you make me feel comfortable in my own skin. But love cannot stop at just feelings of affection for one another. When love is a feeling, it's something that is passive, something that is done to us. It's all about us and what we can get out of it. But love is a verb, it's something that is active, something that we do, and when love is this action, it's all about what we can give to people. And when we look at relationships with other people, we view love as, and when we view love as just this feeling, we're only going to be surrounding ourselves with people that we enjoy being around or people that fill us up or serve us. But that is not the kind of love that Christ has called us to. John's definition of love in verse 16 is that love is laying our lives down for each other. Not just the people that make us feel good, but for everyone. And laying our lives down for people doesn't necessarily look like just for people we like or maybe even people that don't like us. We can't base love off an emotion. As followers of Jesus, we believe that Jesus died for our sins and that we can have a relationship with him because he loves us. But I can almost guarantee the emotions that Jesus was feeling when he got up on that cross were not the same feelings that I have about hammocking or hoo-ha. 
there probably wasn't much excitement for him to have nails put into his hands or to have people in the crowd mocking him. Jesus was not feeling love, but his sacrifice on the cross is one of the greatest examples of love to ever exist. First John 4.10 says that in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the appropriation for our sins. That is what love is. It's not just a feeling, it's an action. And when he didn't deserve the punishment, we surely didn't deserve this gift. He saw this gap between us and the Father and wanted to fill it. That's what love is. It has to be a choice that we make, even when we don't feel like it, even when the people that we're trying to show love to don't deserve it. We can't base our love for one another on emotion because in many times, in any relationship, emotions go away. So I'm gonna be honest with you guys for a second, okay? Because we love honesty here. There are many days in my marriage to John that I'm not feeling it. Like, the butterflies aren't there, it's not all giddy, I'm not all excited to be around him. But that doesn't mean that I get to stop loving him. I get to make the choice to love him every single day. And when he's grumpy, or when I'm grumpy, and I'm being a butt, and I don't really deserve to be loved that day, he still makes the choice to actively love me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All across scripture, we see that God has called us to make the choices to love others. He calls us to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, and to love him. This call to love cannot just be a feeling, feeling because it's something that he's asking us to do. This love has to be an act of obedience to God. So it's not easy to make choices to love God, especially when things aren't going our way, when we aren't hearing from him, but we're called to love him. And it's not easy to love our friends and our community when they're annoying us or making us angry, but we're called to love them. And it's really not easy to love our enemies when they say things that hurt us or push us away from them, but we are called to love them. This kind of love, this active choice that we make, is the same kind of love that Jesus showed us on the cross, not dependent on what he was feeling, but pure, beautiful love for us and a desire for us to experience eternal relationship with the Father. That is what love is. And before we talk more about God's design for dating and sex and marriage in this series, we have to know this. We have to know what love is. And that love is sacrifice. That love is Jesus laying down his life for you and me. And that love is laying our life down for others. So in English, we only have one word to describe love. This one word is supposed to encompass how I feel about my husband and the tea seller and my small group. And I have wildly different feelings about all three of those things. But I love all of them. So thankfully, in the Greek language, the language that the New Testament was written in, there are actually four different words for love. The late author and theologian C.S. Lewis wrote a book entitled Four Loves, um, and he goes through these four loves that we're going to talk about here. But just a side note, if you have never read a book by C.S. Lewis, I highly recommend. He's a very smart man and has helped me think more deeply about Jesus than any other thing in my life. So read C.S. Lewis. He also wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, so start there. <clears throat> Um, but we're going to take a closer look at these four loves and how they interact with each other and just how understanding these four loves can help us really understand the love that Jesus not only has for us, but the love we can have in our friendships and in our uh, marriages as well. So this first kind of love is storge love. So storge love is this affectionate familial love. This is the kind of love that you have with your family, the kind of love that you have with people that you've known for a long time, your mom, dad, sister, brother, cousins, dog, whoever. And this storge love is love that takes a long time to develop. And because this love is so long-standing, it helps us to look past people's flaws and imperfections that we wouldn't be able to look past otherwise. This is the love that helps us look past our aunt's like randomly aggressive Facebook political posts that like we still love her. You know who we're talking about. Yeah, this is the love that still helps her or that still helps us love her. Or like my little brother who doesn't text me back for two weeks when I send him a really funny TikTok. This is the love I have for him, even though he has flaws. Or those 
Okay, if you're a cat owner in here and you have scratches all up and down your arm, you still love your cat, that's weird. But that's, this is kind of kind of love that you have for your cat. Cats are so weird. But it's the long-standing love that you have for them, even though they hurt you. Lewis points out that storge love is the most generous love. It's the love that helps us look past people's faults and the love that we show people even when they don't necessarily deserve it. And paired with the other loves, storge love is so much powerful than it is on our own. On its own. On its own, it's the same type of love that I have for my water bottle. Who else has an emotional support water bottle? All the ladies. Yeah, you get it. You understand. <laughs> All the ladies. This is my emotional support water bottle. It's not a Stanley or a Walla. It's a Camelback. We're going old school. I have had this for so many years, and I love it. It's always in the side pocket of my backpack, and I was at Starbucks yesterday, and I realized I didn't have it, and I was so sad. I was like, how am I supposed to stay healthy and hydrated without my water bottle? I love it. But I would not risk my life for this water bottle. If I, like, dropped this in the street and someone ran over it, I'd go get a new one. Or if I left it in Lang, honestly, I probably would be fine. I would go get a new one. The love that I have for this water bottle is not, is the same kind of love that we have for Storgate. But on its own, it's not powerful. I'm so thirsty now that I'm holding it. So sorry. Anyway. But paired with the other types of love, this love can be so powerful. So when you partner friendship love with this storge love, it becomes, becomes the love that you have for an old friend. Or when you partner this love with eros or erotic love, it becomes the love that is more than just sexual chemistry. It's the love that has a deep appreciation for your partner. And when storge love is coupled with godly love, it's what pushes us to lay our lives down for people. Storge love, though, has its dangers. This love, since it's so familiar to us, can sometimes make us feel like we deserve love because it's always kind of been there. And so it leads us to this thinking of, oh, like, I'm okay if I, like, prioritize myself in this relationship, or I'm okay if I am a jerk to them because they're family. They have to love me. They've always been here. They've always gonna, they're always going to love me, and it causes us to kind of be rude to people. Another danger that can come from storge love is this need to be needed. So C.S. Lewis shares a story in his book about a mom who works really hard and um, makes sure that everyone in her family is taken care of, and she cooks dinner for them every single night, but she stinks at cooking, and she does it anyway. And the loving option would be to let somebody else cook or to go out to eat or to do whatever, but she feels like this is the way that her family is going to love her by doing these things, is she feels like she needs to be needed. Storge love can also lead us down a path of not equipping other people and being territorial. So this mom who stunk at cooking didn't equip anyone else in her family to cook, even though she was bad at it because it was her role. We get defensive about things and have this weird sense of like ownership over them, even though others could do these jobs or tasks or whatever so much better than us. For example, Amber, one of our interns, this girl gifted at administration, okay? Amber is incredible. Um, but when she joined the team this fall, she took a lot of my administration jobs, and I'm so thankful. But I did not like it at first because I, that was my job. Those are my things. I was supposed to do those things. But I am horrible at spelling. Since this girl took it over, there's not been a single typo on this screen. There was one like once a week when I did it. So <clears throat> she can do it so much better than me. I've been replaced, and that's a good thing but she's gonna continue to do these jobs so much better than I ever have or ever could do. And that is the danger when it comes to this storge love is we feel like because it's always been there, because it's always been our thing that we love it, even though it's gonna stop us from delegating things to people and stop us from raising up people to do jobs better than us. This love can be dangerous and lead us to treating people poorly or being defensive, but it can also be so incredible. 
This familiar love helps us to look past social barriers and can typically stop us from having close relationships with people. It helps us to love people that are different from us because we know them and care for them despite any differences that we might have. So I have three brothers, and we are the most different people on the planet. Um, we all have wildly different jobs. We're in different seasons of life. Um, our emotional reactions to things are very different, and we have different beliefs about the world even. But I still love them. They're my brothers. They've been around my whole life, and they're not going anywhere. And so I love them, and I, I want to continue to have relationship with them. No matter how different we are than people, we can make this choice to still show them love. Love can look like laying our lives down for people in laying our interests down or laying our desires down or maybe laying down the things that we want to talk about or the things that we want to do. And in a marriage relationship, this type of love is so important. You need this type of love to have a long-lasting marriage because you want your husband or wife to not just be your family member, but you want them to be your friend. And they kind of have to like you to be your friend. Um, but that's where we go to our next love is phileo love. This is friendship love. So this is the kind of love that we share with people who have similar interests with us or maybe people who share a common goal with us. It's the people that we want to do life with. We want to go on an adventure with them or joke around with them or just spend hours talking to them. Lewis says that this is the least natural of all the loves. He says the least instinctive, organic, biological, and necessary. We don't need this type of love in our lives like we need the other ones, but it's still something that we do. And personally, I think that's what makes it so cool. Like, we could exist without these friendship loves, but we get to experience them. And I feel like that just makes them so much more valuable and enjoyable in our lives because we get to choose to participate in it. And as Christians, having close friends in our lives and people who encourage us and champion us to get back up when we fall down and push us closer to Jesus is so, so important. Having those steady friendships with people despite the things going on, we get to run after Jesus hand in hand. That's one of my favorite parts about being in a small group is just running after Jesus together and running towards him and cheering each other on. Phileo love is so beautiful. So if you are in a small group, go to one. But it's the best place to be because we can run after Jesus together. However, there is danger in phileo love as well. Something this can lead to is being really clicky or just kind of sticking to the way we've always done things and the, the people we've always been with. Or even when you come to college and you kind of like, oh, I found my group of people, this is it, this is my group of friends. It leads us to think that there's no more room for people in our lives. And this can be dangerous because not only do we have this weird like superiority complex or like, oh, I don't need any more friends, but it also puts us in this like bubble. And as Jesus followers, we have a call to go and make disciples of all nations, but like that's not going to happen if all of our friends are already Christians. So if we want to be the example of what it could look like to follow Jesus, we have to do life with people and be their friends and invite them to do this journey with us. So if the only people that we talk to are people in this room, we have to change something. And like, trust me guys, I get it. You are my favorite people on the planet. I, if I could but I can't because Jesus has called me to more. I would just talk to you guys all day, every day. You're my best friends. Derek and Victor too, but they're not here. Um, my best friends are in this room plus them. Um, but I just would spend all my time with you. But in doing so, I have excluded people from my life and from this community because I haven't stepped out of my bubble to go and be friends with them and invite them into my life. We need to be willing to lay our lives down for others by being a friend to them, even when they don't have the same beliefs as us or when they don't think sitting at Starbucks having a deep conversation is super fun. Um, and we can show them Jesus by laying down our lives and our desires, and we can spend time with them over maybe spending time with others. 
We need to share Jesus with the people on this campus, even when those people don't necessarily enjoy being around us, or maybe when we don't enjoy being around them, or when they make us uncomfortable because they're so different than us. There's no cap on the friendships that you can create with the people who need to be shown Jesus's love. However, if you do follow Jesus, your best friends are the people that are on the same path as us, running after Jesus together. So while we need to be friends with people that don't know him, and we need to be friends with people of all walks of life so we can introduce them to Jesus, our best friends, the people closest to us, maybe the people we let speak into our lives, should be followers of Jesus. And the same is true when it comes to dating. So your significant other should be one of your closest friends, which is someone who is running after Jesus the same pace as you. Derek shared this imagery last week of running a race. So when we're running and we're running towards Jesus, um, we need to, when we're looking for someone to date, we need to look to our left or to our right, not back there. We don't look back there for someone who is not following Jesus or maybe walking really slowly because if we do that, then we have to go back and grab them and we're taking steps away from Jesus and we're slowed down now. And so when we look for a significant other, we need to be looking to our left and our right to the people who are running after Jesus at the same pace as us. It should be someone who's running just as hard and just as fast as you towards our king. Please, please do not date someone who does not love Jesus if you're a Christian in this room. It's messy and full of heartache and it is not God's best for us. The person you date and ultimately marry should be your best friend and someone you enjoy spending a lot of time with. One of my favorite parts about mine and John's dating relationship and now our marriage is how strong just our friendship is. Whether we're playing ping pong or quoting the same four TV shows that we watch or choreographing one of our infamous dances in the living room that none of you will ever see, we enjoy doing life together and being complete and utter dorks. But more important than our friendship, John has a relationship with Jesus that I admire. He seeks after God every single day, seeks to know him, to listen to him, and to walk faithfully with him. And that is so beautiful. When I'm struggling with something, he's the person who points me back to Jesus, and he's the person who encourages me in my faith. Our friendship involves lots of laughs and fun, but at the end of our day, the end of my day, the thing that is so important to me in our friendship is how centered it is on Christ. And this is the kind of friendship that we can all experience, not just in dating or in marriage, but through deep, meaningful relationships that we can have with other people in this room. And so I wanna challenge you to be intentional with the people who want to push you closer to Jesus and the people who care more about your relationship with Jesus than they care about your relationship with them. The next type of love that we're talking about is eros this is the romantic sexual love so i know you're so excited for me to talk about this and so miss derek talking about it i know we all love that anyway eros is that feeling you get when you start falling for someone it's when you become obsessed with that special someone you can't stop thinking about them you're walking to class on tuesday and you're like are they gonna be at calvin tonight do you think do you think we'll make eye contact do do you think he'll greet me at the door do you think he's on connecting tonight? That's the kind of love. This is, this is that obsession that we have for people. Eros, while it does include sexual desire, it's actually so much more than that. So sexual desire is just a desire to have sex. It's not, it doesn't actually matter who the person is. It doesn't, uh, it's not, has nothing to do with the person. It's just the desire for the act of sex. Whereas eros encompasses a desire for a specific person. It's not just about the pleasure that someone can give us. It's this deep longing for a connection with that person. So hooking up with someone or um, just wanting someone for what they can give you is not actually eros. Just having sex with people won't satisfy this craving for this type of love in your life. Eros, in its original design, is incredible. This feeling of eros should come to us on its truest form on the wedding night, when a husband and wife become one. 
in bed. You know, you get it. Anyway, the sexual love is beautiful and it is a gift designed by God for marriage. It is a wonderful gift of pleasure and romance inside of the covenant of marriage. Okay? Cool. Incredible. Sexual intimacy within this covenant relationship is so powerful. But because it is so powerful, it also is powerful in a negative way when used outside of God's design. So sex outside of marriage is a really dangerous thing, and it can bring a whole world of hurt, not only to us, but the person that we're having sex with. And when we make this commitment in marriage, we're not only making this commitment with this person, we're making this commitment before God and with, uh, before other people and with the government even. And in doing so, in making that commitment in front of those people, marriage becomes a safe place for us to fully be with another person and to fully be ourselves with them. Marriage is the place where we can fully give ourselves to someone without a fear that I won't like perform well or they'll be gone in the morning. We may think that the person that we're dating or even engaged to is in this committed relationship to us, but outside of marriage, we don't actually know that they're gonna be there the next day and that they're not going to leave. And attaching ourselves to someone in this way can only lead to rejection and heartache. God wants to save us from this hurt, and that's why he made marriage a safe place to experience eros in its fullest form, not to steal our fun, but to protect us. Eros can also be dangerous when we take it from being a good thing to making it an ultimate thing in our life and making it an idol in our life. A lot of us struggle with becoming obsessed with finding a spouse. We walk into Kyle every week and we're like, who's it gonna be? Are you gonna be my future husband? Maybe, who knows? But when we do that, we're becoming so desperate to find a boyfriend or girlfriend, and we're letting this pursuit of a significant other get in the way of our pursuit of Jesus. And I know this struggle all too well. My freshman year, shortly after I got out of a relationship with my ex, within a few weeks, my thoughts and even my prayers started turning into like, is it him? Could he be my future husband? It was. So don't think that. It's bad because I ruined a season of singleness for myself. And I had these thoughts and this time that I could have been growing with Christ was just gone. And I took it for granted. We can get stuck in our heads thinking that we find, when we finally find the one, that we're going to be satisfied. But the reality is no person can fulfill us. And experiencing eros won't even fulfill us. Only Jesus is enough. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and pursue him with everything we have. When we put our trust and satisfaction in a relationship or in another person, we will be let down. And it's not fair to not only us, but it's not fair to that person because they can't be your savior. You don't need a partner or marriage or even eros love to complete you. The only person who can make us whole is Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, to the unmarried most of you guys, and the widows, I say that this is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So being single is okay. It's actually the preferred option. So I think sometimes we view marriage as this like ultimate thing that we're going to get experience. But Paul says that it's actually good for us to not be married if we can. So when you're single... You have so much more time and energy and abilities to do the ministry that God has called you to do. Hear me out, I love being married, it's great, but it takes time. I simply just don't have the capacity to have the same type of relationship that some of you get to have with each other that, in your singleness. So if you're single right now, I just wanna encourage you to be single, in, or to be joyful in your singleness. I know it's hard when your friends and your peers are dating and getting married, but God has not designed us to feel complete by another person, and he's made you whole in him, and he wants you to be joyful in this season because you're already complete in him. 
So take this time right now to have and to become the person that Jesus is asking you to be. Work on getting closer to him and pursuing really deep peer relationships now. Become the person the person you're looking for is looking for now. And be patient. I know it's hard, and I know it's really hard to hear that from me because I got married the second I graduated college. But I promise you, you're not behind because you haven't found the one yet. Trusting God with your future spouse is so beautiful, and trust, you can trust his timing. And for those of us that do get married, this eros love or these romantic sexual feelings that we can have for our partner aren't even gonna be enough to sustain us in our marriages. We can't rely on these feelings of desire, and if we do, our marriages will fail. We're all gonna get ugly. Skin is gonna wrinkle. Things are gonna change. Gravity affects everybody. Okay, when that happens to me, John is still gonna love me, and I'm still gonna love him, even though we'll be old and grody, we're still gonna love each other. And it's gonna be a choice, but the only way that that can happen is by this last love, which is agape love, which is godly love. So this is the best love of all the loves. And to understand this, we're gonna go back to 1 John. So this is 1 John chapter four, verses nine through 12. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the preparation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has perfected in us. This is agape love. Verse 11 says that we ought to love one another. This love is a verb. This love is laying our lives down for each other. We need agape love in order to see others fully fulfilled in the way that God has designed them. Agape love, paired with storge love, helps a parent to sacrifice things for their children. And agape love, paired with phileo love, helps someone to sacrifice for their friends. And agape love, paired with eros, helps someone to love their spouse even when they can't serve each other in the way that they used to. This kind of love is the only love that passes the test of time. So all the other loves are gonna die. Your family, your friends, your spouses, they'll all pass away. But Jesus will remain forever. Only this agape love will last. This is the type of love that we get to choose for every single person in our lives. This love, the love that God has for us, the love that Jesus was sent to die for us and take our place for, this is the love that should cause us to do something. This love compels us to sacrifice. So just as Jesus sacrificed everything for us on the cross, we should be willing to sacrifice everything for others. We can sacrifice our comfort zones and be willing to step out and talk to people in our lives about Jesus and about his heart for them. Even when it's awkward, even when they reject us, this love should compel us to sacrifice our fear of rejection. This love should, should compel us to um, sacrifice money, time, energy, whatever it might be. We should love the people around us so much that we can't help but walk in God's, we can't help but help them walk in God's best for them. And we can sacrifice in our dating relationships by protecting each other's relationships with Jesus, by not letting momentary desire for pleasure get in the way of pursuing him. And we can love each other enough to say no. And we can sacrifice for God by spending extravagant time with him and saying no to those things that may be appealing to us but fall so short of the joy that Jesus can bring. This love that Jesus had for us, has for us should compel us to give it all for him. This love should also compel us to trust, to trust God, to trust that he's so much smarter than us and that he knows what he's doing. 
We know that he isn't trying to uh, ruin our fun or control our lives, but he cares about us and wants to protect us. And the best way to do that is through obeying his commands. We should spend time with him, reading his word, learning how to listen to him and follow what he's asked of us by putting our full trust in Jesus. And when we do that, it is so freeing. We can trust that God, we can trust God when he asks us to be single. Trust that he is enough to satisfy our needs. Trust that there's not gonna ever be another person that's gonna complete us. And we can trust Jesus enough to fulfill us. And lastly, this love compels us to serve. True love is serving the people around us by doing whatever it takes to put them before ourselves. This agape love compels us to give our time and our abilities to serving at Kyle for her, to serving at church on Sundays, even when we don't feel like it. It's the love that will help us find ways to serve our leaders or our small group instead of just trying to receive from them. This love helps us to serve our community in whatever way is possible. There's a story in the Bible that I think captures this heart to serve so beautifully. So back in the day when Jesus walked to the earth, times were very different. There was no technology, no hygiene products, people didn't really shower, there was no vehicles, so if you wanted to get over to the next town, you had to walk, and there was no indoor plumbing. Things just looked a lot differently. And during these last three years of Jesus' life on earth, he spent all of his time with this group of men um, that we know as the disciples, teaching them, training them, and doing ministry with them. This group of men were his closest friends. They spent all day, every day with Jesus, just learning from him and being with him. How cool would that be to just hang out with Jesus all day, every day for three years, pursuing him and learning from the master? To these men, Jesus was their hero. He was their teacher, he was their friend, he was their role model, and he looked up to them. They looked up to him, sorry. But this is where our story takes place. This is John 13, starting in verse one. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God, was going to go back to God. He rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet. As I mentioned earlier, they walked everywhere they went. These streets were full of dirt and probably animal poop and they wore sandals all the time. Their feet were probably disgusting. And Jesus, their teacher, their role model, their best friend, wanted to serve them. He took a job typically done by servants or a slave and began washing these men's feet. Verse six, he says, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but it is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew that he was was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed the feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example 
that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you, if you do them. The creator of the universe got down on his hands and knees and washed the dirty, smelly, crusty feet of these disciples. He'd already humbled himself to come to earth and come as a baby and he lived a human life, but he didn't just stop there. He humbled himself and got on, down on his hands and knees and washed his best friend's feet. He loved them enough to serve them and that's the kind of love that Jesus has for us. We are Jesus' friends. He came and he washed our feet. But we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to love like Jesus? Are we willing to get down on our hands and knees, to humble ourselves, to serve the people around us and wash their feet? I know for me, sometimes I think that I'm above serving or that I've just been in this place of leadership for too long that I don't need to help tear down or, or do different things. But if Jesus, my creator, can get down and wash the feet of the disciples, I can serve others. There is nothing that is beneath me. The thing about this story that really sticks out to me though is that Jesus didn't just wash his friend's feet. He also, also washed Judas's feet. So Judas was the disciple who would betray Jesus, have him arrested and ultimately murdered. And Jesus knew that this was gonna happen, but he washed Judas's feet anyway. We cannot stop at laying our lives down just for our friends and the people that make us feel good and the people that we like being around. We have to be willing to wash anyone and everyone's feet, no matter how we feel about them or how they feel about us. We need to wash the feet of the people on this campus. We need to serve them and love them enough to invite them into the presence of Jesus and to share the love of God with them, even when it's uncomfortable. There are people in this room that stepped out of their comfort zones, people in this room that washed your feet, that invited you into community, that showed you this love that Jesus has for you. And this is the love that we should show others. There are hundreds of people on this campus who do not know the love that Jesus has for them. And we are called to lay our lives down for them. We're called to serve them. We're called to find them and bring them into the presence of Jesus because our loving father wants a relationship with them. This campus is so full of people who are desperately searching for answers and contentment that only Jesus can provide. And I promise you, it is not pushy to share the love of Jesus with someone because love is not tolerance. Love is not standing by and watching our classmates and our roommates and our coworkers spend eternity apart from Jesus. Love is acting in obedience and doing the things that God has called us to do. We must love this campus enough to do whatever it takes to get people to the feet of Jesus. There are people who will tell you no. There are people who will get mad at you for shoving religion down their throat for inviting them to a Kyle service. There are people who are gonna make fun of you for being a Christian but we will wash their feet anyway. We'll serve them and we will always keep an open seat for them in this room. Even if they hate you, even if that person leads to your death or you, to get, you getting arrested, it's not an excuse to not love them and wash their feet because that's exactly what Jesus did. If you guys would stand with me.
we must be willing to lay our lives down for people, to show them this godly agape love. That's the love that Jesus has for each and every single one of us, the love that Jesus showed when he sacrificed it all for us on that cross, the love that he gave us hope. It's the love that he wants us to have for our relationships with our friends, with our family, with our partners, whatever it might be. It's the love that he wants you to take and spread all across this canvas like wildfire. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus, this is the kind of love that Jesus has for you as well. He loves you so much and he wants a relationship with you. The God we serve loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you on a cross, to pay the penalty for sin, to take away our shame so that we can walk in relationship with him. And this Jesus has shown you this agape love. And I promise you, if you decide to give your life to loving him, it's gonna be so worth it. So I wanna give you a chance to do that tonight. So scripture says that all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And that's how you can put your trust in him, that he'll forgive you of your sins. He'll cleanse you and make you whole and bring you into new life with him. And so the way we do that at Chi Alpha is we just have a moment where everyone bows their head and close their eye, closes their eyes. And where I will just ask you to raise your hand if you wanna give your life to Jesus so that I can pray with you. Um, and it's not to, to make it some public thing, but it's just a sign to God to say, I'm in and I want to experience this love. So if you guys would just just bow your heads and close your eyes. I wanna give the people the chance to do that. So if that's you and you want to experience this love that God has for you, you want to say yes to this agape love, to experiencing it and walking in freedom and to walking away from that shame, I'm just gonna ask that you would raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. If you guys would just pray with me. Lord, we just thank you so much for these people who are putting their faith in you, God. I pray that your agape love would just rain down on them right now in this moment. Lord, that they would know no matter the things they've done or the things that they're gonna do, Jesus, that you're gonna love us anyway, that you said yes to us. You gave us this gift of relationship with you, God, by dying on the cross. So I just pray that as we walk out of this room, God, the people that put their faith in you tonight, that it wouldn't just be a here and now kind of relationship, Lord, that this would be something that's long lasting and that they get to experience for the rest of their life, God. Thank you so much, Jesus. We have the opportunity to love like Jesus, to lay our lives down for the people in our classes, our neighbors, our coworkers, to sacrifice our comers on to see people come to know Jesus. We must be a people that seek to love others through storge, phileo, eros, eros, but most importantly, to show others agape love. And if you want to commit to loving this campus, to being a people who look to Jesus to do whatever it takes to get others to him, no matter the cost, to sacrifice everything to serve our king and the people around us, I'm just gonna ask that when we sing this next song that you would come to the altars, you would raise your hand or hold your hands like this, you would raise your hands, that you would say, Jesus, I'm all in. I want this. I want to show this campus love. I want to count the cost. I want to pursue you with everything I have. I want to show people that. And I don't wanna be afraid anymore. Jesus has asked us to lay our lives down for people. So whatever it is, say, Jesus, what is this? What am I supposed to do? What do you want me to do tonight? What do you want me to do tomorrow? How can I show love to the people in my class tomorrow morning? What can I do? So I just ask that as we go into this next worship song, that that would be your prayer, that as you seek Jesus boldly, that you would ask him what the next step is, the thing that you're supposed to do. So if you guys wanna pray with someone, there's gonna be leaders in the corners, and so they'll, they would love to pray with you. But I'm just gonna pray for us now as we go into this worship song. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We are so thankful for the love that you've given us, God. I just pray that we wouldn't let this, this love stop with us, though. 
God, I pray that we would have a deeper understanding of what it looks like to lay our lives down for the people on this campus, God, to not be afraid of what people think about us, God, not to be afraid of the names people are gonna call us or the things that they're gonna say to us, God, or maybe not be afraid that people will leave a relationship with us, God. If people don't want anything to do with us because we stand for you and we wear your jersey, Lord, I just pray that we would be okay with that. God, and that we wouldn't be afraid of the consequences that this earth has to bring when we stand so boldly for you and when we're not afraid to to invite people into this journey with us, God. Lord, would you just reveal to us the next step, the thing that you want us to do this week, the thing you want us to do tonight, whatever it might be, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to love this campus so boldly. And as we do that, we would see eternity after eternity change for your name, Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen.